0: right now on Matter of Fact. For decades, these Japanese immigrants have called this Los Angeles boarding house home.
1: I think it's more than a boarding house. It's definitely culturally significant um, to the Japanese American community.
0: Now the sale of the property, worth millions in a hot real estate market, could force them to move. Will the community find a way to preserve their home and its history? Plus. They were just children when Katrina's waters rushed in, covering New Orleans, taking their loved ones, belongings,
2: and sense of community. Have you ever, like, talked about this before?
0: No, I
2: haven't. That was the interview that gave me validation to keep this journey going.
0: Now all grown up,
2: they are sharing their stories of trauma, survivor's guilt, and hope. I just want to put, like, a spotlight on my community, and I want to make them look larger than life, because they are, you know?
0: We talked to the director of Katrina Babies about the generation overlooked in the aftermath of the storm. And hundreds of millions of cars, trucks and motorcycles are on the road. Just over 1% get plugged in and charged. Is there another green vehicle ready to roll and get us on the road to clean energy faster?
1: Soledad O'Brien, welcome to Matter of Fact. A little known piece of history is fighting for survival. The last remaining Japanese boarding house in Los Angeles may shut its doors, closing out its longtime residents. In the early 1900s, a wave of Japanese immigrants found comfort living in boarding houses where they came together for meals and could speak their own language. After World War II, the boarding houses helped people returning from internment camps, and they often doubled as employment agencies. Well, now, activists, historians, and some elderly Japanese Americans are coming together to save the house, the community, and the history. Our special contributor, Joey Chen, reports on what could be the final chapter for this humble home.
3: It doesn't take much to get them reminiscing about the good old days. Until the day we meet again, the song goes. It's a karaoke favorite of 77-year-old Shibao Hidetoshi's and a fitting reminder of the change underway for these men and their historic neighborhood. It is hard to keep track of the years. But Nobusan Hidetoshi, and Hideo tell me they've been housemates for decades. Now they're among the last residents of Ozawa Boarding House, the last of its kind. LA's Japanese boarding houses date back to the early 1900s, when young men arrived in California to work in the local stores or in the fields. At one point, there were nearly 100 boarding houses in and around the city, providing more than just shelter says historian Rosalind Sagawa.
1: I think it's more than a boarding house. It's definitely culturally significant um, to the Japanese-American community as a site where a sense of place and a sense of belonging is, um, is fostered.
3: Sagawa's own father briefly lived at the Ozawa House, built by an enterprising family more than 100 years ago in the East Hollywood neighborhood known as J Flats. On land they couldn't even own in their own names, because of California's alien land laws. Tsuya Ozawa and her daughter Shizuka and Doris ran the house, cooking huge group meals three times a day. For decades, new arrivals and even second generation Nisei Japanese came to stay and to work in the city.
1: Japanese Americans um, have contributed to the Los Angeles um, economy and social fabric since they arrived Um, and Boarding houses are kind of part of that story.
3: But for many, by the time their work years were over, going back to Japan wasn't an option. Now the sale of this property, worth millions in LA's hot real estate market, threatens the home. The new owner wouldn't speak with us, but the purchase raised alarms with neighbors, like Lindsay Mulcahy. When you first heard this, that the building had been sold, what was your gut reaction? Curiosity and, and, and fear, because this is a, a story that you see all over the city. Mulcahy led a campaign to save the building, now designated a historic landmark. This is not an architectural gem, but it's worth saving. Yeah, um, I think it's really important for people to understand that preservation and historic conservation is much more than pretty buildings. It's about buildings that people have um, memories with, places that people come together in and celebrate each other and connect to a much larger legacy. Though the tenants are protected by L.A.'s rent stabilization rules, they remain skeptical of the new owner's promises, fearing they'll be forced to move. Do people have the right to stay in a place just because they've been there for a long time? Uh, Japanese immigrants, when they first moved to L.A., weren't even allowed to purchase property, and then lost that all um, during World War II, uh, when Japanese Americans were incarcerated to camps all over the country. And so this is in this longer legacy of things that have been really morally unfair. Fair or not, The last tenants of the Ozawa boarding house are now headed toward an uncertain future, but have no doubt about the place they call home. In East Hollywood, I'm Joey Chen for Matter of Fact.
0: Next on Matter of Fact.
2: Katrina Babies take one. It is just crazy to see these pictures. Like, that footage of New Orleans that's not there anymore, you know, so that's, that's sacred footage. The
0: director's cut of Katrina Babies, the story of a generation searching for healing. And later, workforce wars. About
1: 58% of Gen Z workers and 49% of millennials want more
0: in-person time with colleagues. Why we're divided over who's in the office and who wants to stay home.
1: years ago this weekend, Hurricane Katrina took aim at America's Gulf Coast, one of the deadliest and costliest hurricanes in U.S. history. More than 1,800 lives were lost. At least one million people were forced to leave their homes, many never returning. Katrina came to represent the nation's failures in terms of disaster preparedness and capacity to respond. That failure had a profound impact on the children whose lives were forever changed. Edward Buckles Jr. was only 13 years old when Katrina turned his life upside down. A New Orleans native and first-time film director, Buckles spent seven years documenting the stories of other children who survived the storm. The result is the HBO documentary film, Katrina Babies, on HBO and HBO Max. It's so nice to talk to you, and congratulations on the documentary.
2: Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here, sitting here talking to you.
1: You've said that you were very reluctant to place yourself in the film. But you were a young kid when Katrina happened. Why the reluctance?
2: It was survivor's guilt. Because I had evacuated and because of the fact that um, I I didn't stay during the storm and I wasn't you know, in the water, I wasn't in my attic, I didn't think that I had any trauma. I didn't think that I had a story when it came to Hurricane Katrina. And many of us feel that way. And often in the black community, we compare traumas, you know? Well, your trauma was worse than mine, so mine doesn't matter. I just wanted people to know that, you know, those who stayed and those those who evacuated, you know, are dealing with trauma here.
1: You ask a number of young, now 30-year-old-ish people, <laughs> like, so has anyone ever asked you this before? Have you ever talked about this before, right? All this trauma and they always say no.
2: It blew my mind the first time Myesha Williams, who's a good friend of mine, and she started to cry. And and she told me that no one had ever asked her any of these questions. It it floored me, you know? Um, But also it added validation to my journey. I started this project at a very young age and it was intimidating. And sometimes I would question myself, is this story important?
1: Apparently, it is important. Your debut film is on HBO.
2: I feel very blessed and I'm honored. When I first started this project, you know, I just wanted to be heard and seen. But I think that being here, that really shows me that the narrative can be owned by people, you know, who experienced it. And the narrative can be changed.
1: You talk about violence in the film. Do you think there is a connection between um, the violence that in the aftermath, I mean, I saw the violence go up in the aftermath of Katrina, immediate, Yeah, short-term aftermath.
2: Drawing parallels between the uh, current state of New Orleans when it comes to violence, uh, youth violence, um, and, you know, what... what happened in 2005, that was important to me because of the fact that when trauma is suppressed, it causes things like PTSD. It causes things like anxiety. It-it causes things like anger, right? It should be a no-brainer that maybe Hurricane Katrina, as well as all of the other traumas that we experience in black and disenfranchised neighborhoods, had something to do with it.
1: You talk a lot about displacement of communities, especially black communities. It's almost like gentrification, but sped up.
2: You know, the same reason that they invited us back into the city so soon when when our houses weren't ready is probably the same reason that they're not reporting on how many of us are being priced out of our houses in New Orleans. It's because the city is benefiting off of it.
1: You have said that you become furious when people talk about um, people who were pulled out or left the city, uh, as, um, refugees, Mm. as opposed to evacuees.
2: When you see all of those black bodies and black people, um, you know, in the streets of New Orleans in 2005, it looked like it was a third-world country. There was an opportunity there to not call us refugees, but to say that, why is America treating its citizens like that?
1: Why do you think this story resonates 17 years later.
2: I think that there's no better time for us to revisit 2005 and, you know, check on the kids. Because we are an example of what happens when you experience a great, great, great trauma, and you don't have help. And it seems like no one cares. So I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic that, you know, this film can serve as an example of what to do.
1: Edward Buckles Jr. is a first-time film director, and his film is called Katrina Babies. It's fantastic, by the way. I I should have said that from the get-go, but (laughs) it is fantastic.
2: Thank you so much. You
1: bet. The HBO documentary film Katrina Babies is on HBO and HBO Max.
0: Ahead on Matter of Fact.
1: Some people
4: tell me to fix my hair. And by fix, they mean straighten. They mean whitening. The
0: poet and New York Times bestselling author giving voice to the connection between hair and identity in America. And still to come... Another entry in the race to renewable energy. What kinds of cars will drive us to a green future?
1: Unkempt and unprofessional those are common words often used to target people of color mainly black people in workplaces based on hair texture or hairstyle california was the first state to pass a law banning racial discrimination based on a person's hair well now a total of 18 states have passed the crown act add the u.s house of representatives to the list though the u.s senate has yet to pass the bill poet elizabeth acevedo uses spoken word to address how hair is connected to our identity. Here is the New York Times best-selling author performing Inheritance, which is based on her poem, Hair.
4: Some people tell me to fix my hair. And by fix, they mean straighten, they mean whiten. But how do you fix this shipwrecked history of hair? The true meaning of stranded, when trusses hug tight like African cousins in ship bellies? Did they imagine their great grandchildren would look like us and would try to erase them how we do? Trying to find ways to escape them out of our skin, to iron them out of our hair, this wild tangle of hair that strangles air. You call them wild curls. I call them breathing, ancestors spiraling, Can't you see them in this wet hair that waves like hello? And, yo, they say Dominicans do the best hair. We can wash, set, flatten the spring in any lock, but what they mean is we're the best at swallowing amnesia. In a cup of morir soñando, die dreaming, because we'd rather do that than live in this reality caught between orange juice and milk, between reflections of the sun, and whiteness. What they mean is, why would you date a black man? What they mean is, un prieto cocolo. What they mean is, why would two oppressed people come together? It's two times the trouble. What they really mean is, have you thought of your daughter's hair? And I don't tell them that we love like sugar cane, brown skin paler flesh, meshed in pure sweetness, the children of children of fields. Our bodies curve into one another like an echo, and I let my current of curls blanket us from the world, how our children will be beautiful, of dusk skin and brilliant eyes, hair of reclamation, and I will braid pride down their back. So from the moment they're in the womb, They will be born in love with themselves. Some people tell me to fix my hair, and so many words remain unspoken because all I can reply is you can't fix what was never broken.
1: Elizabeth's performance piece was featured in our latest Matter of Fact listening tour, Trailblazers, Troublemakers, and Dreams. You can see all the stories from that tour on matteroffact.tv.
0: Coming up on Matter of Fact, about a third of American workers are still working remote. We look at the numbers to figure out who's in the office and who's not coming back. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv.
1: The pandemic has changed the way we work at its height in 2020. Almost two thirds of workers were remote. A new Gallup poll reported by the Washington Post found that 29% of remote workers are at home full time. That's down from 39% in February. But there's a call for some balance, according to a recent survey from Nationwide and Ipsos. About 58% of Gen Z workers and 49% of millennials want more in-person time with colleagues while older workers and women and people of color and working parents want remote work or at least a hybrid schedule. So who's working at home? People in technology, communications, finance, and insurance. That's according to the payroll and benefits provider, Gusto. There are no exact numbers from the government, but to get a more accurate account, the U.S. Census Bureau plans to include questions about working from home in at least one major survey
0: next on Matter of Fact. Are we really on the road to greener cars? Or has the movement hit the brakes?
1: Finally, another entry in the race to renewable energy. We're talking about hydrogen powered cars. Well, right now, electric vehicles make up just over 1% of about 270 million cars and trucks that are on the roads. The Biden administration wants to drive that number up. In order to cut carbon emissions, the president has set a goal that 50% of vehicles sold by 2030 will be electric vehicles. That still puts pressure on America's power grid. Green car advocates say there is another option, the hydrogen fuel cell. Instead of plugging in your car, you pull up to the hydrogen pump, fill up your tank and then drive off. As for emissions, burning hydrogen fuel produces only water. Several automakers are moving to produce hydrogen fuel cell cars, and the Inflation Reduction Act includes a tax credit for buying one. But only one state in the nation, California, has hydrogen filling stations, though just a handful. There are other challenges, too. Hydrogen is expensive, it's highly flammable, and it's not easy to transport. So expect the road to greener vehicles to be a long one. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'll see you back here next week.
0: If you missed our top stories about the battle to save a Japanese boarding house in Los Angeles, a conversation with the director of Katrina Babies about how the storm impacted a generation, a poem dedicated to hair, and a look at the latest numbers on remote work. Just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.